You may be seated. I will be emphasizing the first miracle that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. And the Bible text for that ministry without, with, for that miracle without you turning to it is found in the book of John chapter 2. Familiar it is. It's that Jesus and his disciples were called to a marriage at Cana. And while at the marriage, the mother of Jesus, Mary, came and said to him, they have no wine. It was a respectful response in that culture when Jesus responded to his mother and said, Woman, mine hour hath not come. She turns and walks away, and you can hear her say as she walks away, as she speaks to the ushers of the marriage, Whatever he tells you to do, do it. I will be preaching about that miracle tonight, Lord willing, before I finish my visit with you. That was the beginning of his miraculous ministry. For three and a half years, his miracles astounded everyone that saw him in action. Actually, the miracle began at Bethlehem where the miracle conception became a birth and Christ was born. During his earthly ministry, he visited the graveyard of Bethany. And in Bethany, he called a man that had been a corpse for four days from death back to life. From Bethany, and this is not necessarily in chronological order, he also evangelized in the city of the fish. We know it as Bethsaida where in Bethsaida he touched one man twice. And the first time he touched the gentleman, the man said, I see men as trees walking. And Jesus touched him again. And then the gentleman declared, I see all things clearly. Never let it be said, never let it be believed and the ministers and the churches that are associated with the worldwide Pentecostal fellowship that we promote only one great spiritual touch from Jesus. It's my prayer that not only that he'll touch us tonight, and I believe that he already has, and I believe that he is again before this service is over, but we need to understand that it is not by ongoing works of righteousness that has saved us. But it's the washing of regeneration. And it is the renewing of the Holy Ghost. I say tonight, Lord, touch us again. Fill us again. Renew us again. Restore us again. Bethany, Bethsaida, he also evangelized at the pool of Bethesda. And while evangelizing at the pool of Bethesda, he told a man that had been a victim of paralysis for many, many years, take up thy bed and walk. He visited Calvary, and at Calvary his humanity was revealed. He visited Caesarea Philippi. And at Caesarea Philippi, his deity was revealed. 
And as I have already mentioned, he visited Cana, where he turned the water into wine. He evangelized in the city of Capernaum, where he told the man that was let through the roof in a homemade parachute, Thy sins be forgiven thee. But to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins, he told the man that was still the victim of the couch, Take up thy bed and walk. And there's no doubt many of you here tonight, you stand in need of a miracle, of a healing touch of God. And it's my hope, my wish, my prayer that you'll receive that glorious touch tonight. But if you're sick in your body, but saved in your soul, you've got more than the healing of the body will ever give to you. Twice he visited Decapolis. The first visit he told the deaf and dumb mute to be healed. The second time that he visited Decapolis, he fed 4,000 hungry men. He walked the roads to Emmaus. And there when they arrived at at Emmaus, he and his disciples, he revealed who he was to these two heartbroken disciples. Once he evangelized in Gadara, and in Gadara in the cemetery, he delivered a man of legions of devils. Twice in particularly, the Sea of Galilee came under the influence of his anointed ministry. The first time Jesus, by his voice, rebuked the tempestuous storm, but to prove that that was no fluke, And we'll come back to that, the Lord willing. The next time he didn't rebuke the tempestuous storms. The second time he walked upon the Sea of Galilee. Once he evangelized in Gennesaret. And everyone that was brought to him that was sick and diseased, he healed them all. At Golgotha, Jesus the man was sacrificed for your sins and mine. Once he visited Jericho and being stopped by the call of a blind bum, Jesus invited blind bum Bartimaeus to be brought to him. And Jesus defied every medical odd of the day and told the blind bum of Jericho, Thy faith hath made thee whole. At Jerusalem, he and he alone carried the burden for her. And while he ministered in her temple, and while he performed miracles there, I think the greatest thing that we can say that Jesus did for Jerusalem, he wept over her and said, Oh, Jerusalem, I have longed to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks. Once he visited Jordan, and there he was baptized. And in his baptismal service, he officially became the heavenly dove. He stopped a funeral possession in the country village of Nain, and he resurrected the son of a widow. He started his life pretty much in the city of Nazareth. And even though we don't have a record that he performed any particular miracle in Nazareth, it was there that he laid down the hammer 
laid down the chisel and laid down the carpenter tools and for the next three and a half years he became the most successful evangelist that ever preached, that ever taught and that ever prayed. At Sidon when he evangelized the tire in Sidon he delivered a young woman that was possessed of the devils. Everywhere Jesus went something good was taking place. At the temple he forgave the adulterous woman. At a synagogue he cast demons out of a church member. At a well he gave a woman a fresh drink of that everlasting water. In a boat he preached the great sermon about the sower and the seed. On one mountain he was tempted. On a second mountain he was transfigured. On a third mountain he prayed until he bled. And on the fourth mountain he was sacrificed for your sins and mine. Tonight I want us to dedicate this house not as a building of southern country bluegrass entertainment that these Smokies are so popular for, but beginning tonight and for the some next 48 hours, this is the house of God. This is the place Jesus will visit with us. This is the place that the sick will be healed. This is the place the possessed will be delivered. This is the place the depressed will be set free. This is the place where the lost can be found. This is the place where we will break through and have a matter revival to affect the land. Some of you seem to want to worship with me. Let's do it first class and clap our hands unto the Lord. The Lord is in the house. The Lord is in the house. Gatlinburg will never be the same again. You may be seated. Now we go to the miracle that I've referred to, turning water into wine. I want you just to think with me and find if you disagree with some of my wordings and my definitions, but hear me out. Jesus, according to the story, was not invited to a wedding. He was invited to a marriage. When Jesus was invited to the marriage, he was invited to be one of the guests. But before the marriage and the reception was over, Jesus, the guest, became the MC and he became the host. In our way of talking about weddings and marriages, we interchange them frequently. But in all technical reality, there's the difference. The wedding is the simple religious or social ceremony. The marriage is the union that you have to work at to be successful. Many young couples can have beautiful and expensive weddings, but it takes a lot of work to have a beautiful and a successful marriage. This was not a wedding he was invited to. This was a marriage he was invited to. He debuted his earthly ministry at a marriage in Cana. And near the end of the book of Revelation, he will close what we will call his eternal ministry 
at another marriage, but this time it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. He was the invited guest at Cana, but because of what he could do, he became the host. But there's no doubt about it at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's not the guest. He is the host. And the guest tonight is extended the invitation. Come ye that are thirst and drink. Not drink from the water that's been turned to wine. But drink of the fountain of water of life. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house tonight. I feel the presence of God in the house tonight. I'm not sure if you'll take this journey with me. But as long as the church is in the earth working for Jesus, if it's okay by you, I'm just going to call it an extended love affair and an extended wedding. But I can hardly wait till the bells chime and the orchestras play and the angels sing and the heavenly host rejoices. I can hardly wait for the sound of the trumpet when the dead in Christ shall rise first. I can hardly wait until we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, dear friends, whatever you do, don't miss the marriage supper of the Lamb. We used to sing in Pentecost, we shall all rise to meet him. We shall all go to greet him. We got time. Worship. Be seated, please. The setting is this. Jesus the guest. They have no wine. Mother comes and advises him of that. She turns and walks away telling the young ushers, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Not another word was spoken until Jesus became involved in the need. The setting is this. The country village of Cana. It's a marriage. There's no there's no refreshments there. Oh, Jesus, don't ever let it be said that we bring the outsider, the unbeliever, the unsaved into a Pentecostal church and there's no Holy Ghost refreshments there. Don't ever let it be said that we come to any of our churches and it's dead and it's dull and it's boring and it's starchy and it's formal. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come to declare to you this is the time of refreshing. I would announce to you and as your chairman, I declare, let's have a refreshing time tonight. Come and drink. Come and dine. Come and refill. Come and restore. Come and renew. This miracle that Jesus performed is very astounding. We have learned there are six water pots of stone, and these six water, six water pots of stone contains in their measurement two or three firkins apiece. Now, 
transferring the measurement of a firkin to a gallon. One firkin is 10.8 gallons. Consequently, all of these six stone vessels could hold up to approximately 33 gallons of water if they were filled to the brim. And that's the first thing that Jesus told the ushers at the marriage to do. Fill the firkins, fill the stone vessels up to the brim. This is just going to be old-fashioned down south preaching tonight, but there's no such thing as half full of the Holy Ghost. There's no such thing as three-quarters full of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. There's no such thing as 99% of the Holy Ghost. And as we say down south, you either got it or you don't got it. But I tell you, I feel like we got it tonight. Fill this place. Hallelujah to the brim. Each of these stone vessels would hold approximately 33 gallons of water apiece. Six of these stone vessels were there. So you're looking at 194.4 gallons of water. And once it was filled to the brim, Jesus got a hold of every one of these stone vessels individually and anointed them and shook them and spit in their stone ear and asked them to turn loose and to hold on and to have faith and to give up. No, he didn't say a word to them. But when the ushers of the wedding obeyed him and did precisely what he commanded them to do, it just happened naturally. Brother and sister Pentecost, we don't have to shake them up and shake them down and push them across the building. But when we do what Jesus says, I promise you he'll do what he has promised. For if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, just forget the rest of it. It's going to happen. If somebody will just roll the stone away, forget the rest of it. It's just going to happen. If we'll march around Jericho, forget the rest of it. It's just going to happen. If we have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, forget the rest of it. It's just going to happen. Let's release our faith. Let's release our trust. Let's obey. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when the speaker obeyed Jesus, and when the platform guest obeyed Jesus, and when the musicians obeyed Jesus, and when the singers obeyed Jesus, and when the ministers and the minister's wives and the minister's families, they came to the first night of summit, obey Jesus. Before I tell you what's going to happen, let me send a quick warning to the devil. Hey, buddy, you better watch out because when we do our part, you don't stand a chance.
Hallelujah. You may be seated. And when the ushers had filled the six stone vessels up with a hundred and ninety-four point gallons full of water, Jesus never said a word. But when the eye of he that spread the water upon the earth just looked at the full vessels, the water blushed and turned from the color of crystal clear to a deep purple wine. Oh God, if you've ever heard this boy preach before, hear me now. Look on us tonight. See our need tonight. Supply our needs tonight. And the church said amen. For you to develop from crushed grapes five gallons of wine, it takes 90 pounds of grapes to go through the crushers to give you five gallons of wine. Consequently, with that mathematical equation, Brother Joel, it took 3,500 pounds of grapes to make 194.4 gallons of wine. Jesus short-circuited the vine and the vine dresser. He short-circuited the harvesters. He just said, I can do it without the vine dressers. I can do it without the harvesters. I can do it without the stompers. I want to tell you something. If we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out to him. He don't need us, but ladies and gentlemen, we need him. He can do it without me. He can do it without you. He can do it without our entertainment. He can do it without our singing. He can do it without our preaching. But, oh, I want to be right in the big middle when Jesus is working. Thirty-five hundred pounds of grapes to make enough wine for the wedding guest, and just for the record's sake, to raise thirty-five hundred pounds of grapes, it would take a minimum of a half acre to get the job done. And the end results of what Jesus had done at the wedding of Cana, when the flavor and the taste of the wine touched the governor's tongue and taste buds, smacking his lips and licking his lips, he said, now, this is a pretty strange thing because every other marriage and social gathering you go to, the host will always serve the best first and wait and have what's left for the last. I would submit to you for you to consider that as a church, as a nation, and as a world, we're living in the last days. And I'm fully aware that we can preach many sermons about the advancement of sin, the advancement of sexual promiscuity, the advancement of all kind of violence. But I want to announce to this congregation, this indeed is not the day of the devil. It's not the day of sin. But I would simply say that where sin doth abound, here he comes, here he comes. Grace doth much more abound.
I want to finalize my comments on this miracle to tell you that these, that these vessels were made of stone and not made of just clay pottery. In these last days, you better be made of something or you're going to be fragile. Clay will crack. Clay will crumble. Clay will collapse. Stone will stand the test of time. We have too many in our pulpits. Their ministry is built on crackable clay. Their ministry is built on collapsible clay. Dear preacher, I'm not your pastor, but this is no time to be weak on the message. Keep standing that, that are standing. I want the pastors and preachers to look around. Our church members are saying, preach it strong. Preach it strong. Don't back up. Don't give in. Tell us what we got to do to be saved. The great revival churches across North America are indeed not those churches that are compromising the Pentecostal message. You better be strong on the oneness of the Godhead. You better be strong on the apostolic plan of salvation. You better be strong with separation from the world. And I don't know why we're afraid to use this term, but here it comes. You better be strong on some holiness standards. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ministers are falling. Preachers are falling. Pastors are falling. Evangelists are falling. Churches are crumbling. Churches are collapsing because they're trying to exist with a clay pottery existence. I'm telling you, friend, it's time to be strong in the Lord. Paul said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. I said, finally, would you allow me and receive me to tell you that I'm saying we're in the final days of the dispensation of grace. Consequently, I submit to you, finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual weakness in high places. Wherefore, wherefore be strong. I say be strong. I say be strong. Put on the whole armor of God that you will be able to withstand in the evil day and after you've done all to stand be strong and stand be strong and stand be strong and stand I would to God that you would receive me tonight as a friend and as a brother in Christ dear pastor don't compromise the message don't compromise the standards Hallelujah. 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 Paul says in the writings that I read to you in Romans chapter 11, 
It's for him and it's through him and to him. And once again, to make it fresh in your mind, Jesus said that without me, you can do nothing. A preacher that stands in the desk and calls it preaching without prayer and calls it preaching without preparation before God and calls it preaching without marinating his Bible with his own salty tears, brother, you're not preaching, you're just making a public speech. I would submit to you there's a difference in speaking and a difference in preaching. Speaking the gospel, it has no power. But the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Preach it with authority. Preach it with strength. Preach it with conviction. Be ready. We got to walk fast. Time is not my friend tonight. But again, I remind you that Jesus said that without me, you can do nothing. The writer's beginning in John chapter 1 and verse 4. In him was life. John 3.15, in him was eternal life. John 3.16, in him is everlasting life. Acts 10 and 43, in him there's remission of sins. Acts 17 and 28, in him we live. Acts 17, 28, in him we move. Acts 17, 28, in him we have our being. Jesus said, you can't make it without me. Without me, you can do nothing. Thing. First Corinthians 8 and 6, all things are in him. Second Corinthians 1 and 20, all the promises of God are in him. Second Corinthians 5 and 21, in him is the righteousness of God. Ephesians 1 and 4, we are chosen in them. Oh, sorry, we're chosen in him. Colossians 1 and 19, in him should dwell all the fullness. Colossians 2 and 6. We are to walk in him. Colossians 2 and 7. We are rooted and built up in him. Colossians 2 and 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2 and 10. We are complete in him. Hebrews 2 and 13. We put our trust in him. 1 John 1 and 5. There's no darkness at all in him. John 1 and 2 28. We abide in him. Forgive me if I have to break out with a song just a moment and it goes like this it's all in him it's all in him the fullness One of the most challenging jobs in my life is when I'm called on to preach. And I feel such glory with me, so much glory around me, and so much glory in me that I want to just back away from the desk and put my two hands behind my back and do a little Holy Ghost dancing for Jesus. 
But you see, we've gone beyond that. We don't do that anymore in Pentecost. I would to God you would hear me. A dead Pentecostal church is worse than a lively denominal church. Come on, I'm looking for some Holy Ghost in the house. For in him there's life. In him there's life. In Hachandom. Jesus said that without me you can do nothing. I've come to tell you that not only are all things in him, I want to remind you of a few things that are by him. Luke 5 and 15, multitudes were healed by him. Now, folks, I've been around the track many thousands of times trying to have a move of God, and I've been in some audiences uh, a little smaller than this, believe it or not. And I have tried to pump God into the equation the way that I wanted to pump God into the service. It just don't work that way. But I'm going to make a statement of faith and call it prophesying and call it hope either one. It doesn't matter. But I feel that before this service tonight is over, there's going to be a resounding crescendo that's going to fill this house gonna feel this house because we're gonna realize one more time that without him we can do nothing we can't preach without him we can't sing without him we live because of him be seated by him Luke 5 and 15 multitudes were healed by him Luke 13 and 17 the 17 glorious things were done by him John 1 and 3 all things were made by him John 1 and 10 the world was made by him Acts 2 and 22 miracles wonders and signs were by him Acts 3 16, our faith is by him. Acts 13 and 39, we're justified by him. 1 Corinthians 1 and 5, we are enriched by him. 1 Corinthians 8 and 6, all things are by him. Colossians 1, 16 through 20, all things in heaven are created by him. All things in earth are created by him. All things that are visible are created by him thrones and dominions are created by him principalities and powers are created by him all things by him they consist and by him heaven and earth are reconciled aren't you glad that you're on the Lord's side tonight and I would urge you to hear me he's not about to go bankrupt He's not about to go on spiritual welfare. He's got everything that you need. He can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we're able to ask or to think. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Romans 6 and 4. You know what I want to do?
I'm tired of quenching the spirit. I want a little shouting. I want a little dancing. I want a little rejoicing because we are in him. Be seated. Paul writes Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. We are buried with him. Chapter 6 and verse 6. Our old man is crucified with him. Romans 6 and 8. We shall also live with him. Romans 8 and 17. If we suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. 2 Corinthians 6. We're workers together with him. 2 Corinthians 13. We shall live with him in the power of God. Colossians 2 and 13. We are quickened together with him. Colossians 3 and 4. We shall appear with him in glory. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 10. We shall live together with him. 2 Timothy chapter 2. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him and we shall reign with him. And Jesus said, for without me, you can do nothing. But Paul said, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased, but I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Beg your pardon. I thought that was what I was trying to do. I love you, Brother Buxton. If ever the deity of Jesus Christ has been under attack, it's under attack in my beloved United States of America. Perhaps you need to hear it, but I don't have the time to itemize it. It's not politically convenient to have public prayer to Jesus in school anymore. Right. Now there's a case in in the state of Massachusetts that an atheist family is suing the U.S. government to take out the slogan that says, One nation under God, that's offensive under God. Atheism is growing fast in the United States. Islamism is growing fast in the United States. The Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Shintoism, are growing fast in the United States. And the way they're trying to go is to step on and to trample on the person and the deity of Jesus Christ. But before I finish my bedtime story to you tonight, I want you to hear me tonight. You can walk on him. You can trample on him. You can abuse his name, but he's still God. He's still in command. Atheists can deny him, but he's still God. 
Any attack against the Bible is an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ. When liberals and unbelievers attack the authenticity of the Bible, it's an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ. When the atheists and the unbelievers be seated, I'm not finished. When the atheists and the unbelievers attack the existence of God, it's an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ. When evolutionists attack the creationist account in the book of Genesis, it's an attack on the uh, on the deity of Jesus Christ. When the skeptics and the agnostics attacked the miracles in the Bible that Jesus performed, it's an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ. When the infidels criticize and mock and find an attack on the virgin conception and the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, it's an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ. And now the institutions of higher learning across North America, they finally achieved their ultimate intellectual goal and that is to feed godless professors to up and coming young Americans. God bless AST and what AST stands for and if every godless professor of every university can hear me tonight in this convention hall you can, t- you can talk him down you can put him down it doesn't matter he's still God he's still God History declares his deity. Prophecy accents his deity. Christianity testifies his deity. Philosophy will reason his deity. Literature will write about his deity. Music will play melody and sing songs of his deity. And for some of you, and perhaps for me, his deity may be hard to understand and to explain. But to deny his deity is a disaster. To resist his deity is fatal. But to know his deity is the greatest revelation that the eternal God has ever given to man. To believe in his deity is the first step for salvation. And to say the very least, Jesus Christ and his deity is much more than an interesting discussion. It's much more than an informative discussion. It's much more than an intellectual discussion. You don't have to have a degree from college to understand the deity of Jesus I will preach to you tonight that in Jesus Christ dwells the Father and dwells the Son and dwells the Holy Ghost and all things are in him and for him and by him and we shall live with him just don't let him shout by himself somebody help him shout Hallelujah. 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 You know, you know, I'm just the chairman of the business meetings. I'm not the chairman of the services. But I'll tell you what, if you'll have an emergency business session and elect me as the chairman of this service tonight, we'll just take about a 60-second break and we'll just shout to the Lord for a few minutes. Would somebody want to clap your hands to Jesus? Would somebody want to leap? Go ahead, Brother Chapman. Go ahead, Brother Chapman. There he goes. 
Just don't let him run by himself. He's not finished. Let's let him 